Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Classroom Matters podcast with me, your host, Christy Hool. And today, I am sitting down and talking with best-selling author and family therapist, Kim West, who has been lovingly titled The Sleep Lady. But before gaining that title, Kim was a lot like you, tired. In her work as a family therapist and busy mom, Kim dreamed of a deep, restful sleep. Oh, don't we all, Kim? (laughs) While conventional wisdom promoted a cry-it-out approach to sleep training, Kim knew that it was not her style. But over time, she gently helped her first daughter get to sleep, fine-tuning a process over the years, which later became a world-renowned sleep method that has helped over 1 million families finally get some rest. Kim has gained international recognition as an expert on baby and child sleep, and her step-by-step method known as the Sleep Lady Shuffle has empowered hundreds of thousands of families to find gentle, customized sleep solutions. Kim has authored multiple books, including the groundbreaking The Sleep Lady's Good Night Sleep Tight, Gentle Proven Solutions to Help Your Child Sleep Well Without Leaving Them to Cry It Out, and she has also offered her expertise on national television programs, including Dr. Phil, The Today Show, and Good Morning America. Kim, welcome to the Classroom Matters podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Christy. It's my pleasure. So I am tired. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you probably get that a lot. Yeah. So so tell us a little bit about how you got started with not only the book, but just this type of work in general. So I was a, a family therapist and I was pregnant with my first child, who's now 27 years old. And my older brother um, had his first child six months, uh, you know, before me. And they came down to visit for the holidays and they were a wreck. They were like, we're never having any more children. You know, uh, my sister-in-law was like, I'm going to have to quit my job. We can't take it anymore. And I, of course, didn't, had no idea that sleep was going to be a problem. I mean, don't they just eat poop and sleep? Like, what's the problem? And I was terrified. I had never seen them like that. And so, you know, fast forward, I have my own child. I get some well-intended, but not great advice um, that didn't work. And I decided I'm, you know, going to try to figure out something different, use my child development background, uh, did a lot of reading. And at that time, we only had Ferber which is put your, in America, what I call time checks or graduated extinction, put your child in a crib, leave and go check on them in increments, um, you know, and let them cry in between. And I just thought there's got to be some other way um, because I knew the importance of a secure attachment. And so that's how I kind of fine-tuned and I jokingly and lovingly say to my older daughter, she was my guinea pig. She turned out lovely, thank goodness, um, on how to get her to learn how to put herself to sleep at an age-appropriate time and sleep through the night without leaving her to cry. And so it kind of all built from there. I helped all my friends and friends of friends. And soon I didn't know anymore who these people were. And that's when my sister-in-law said, Kim, you have to add this to your practice. And so after my second child and getting her on a good routine, I did. Yeah, because it really is such a struggle, isn't it? Um, For most young parents, um, it probably is one of the things uh, that are most, uh, a biggest challenge for parents, wouldn't you agree? 
Yeah. Well, the statistics show that 25 to 30% of babies and children under six have a reported sleep problem, mm-hmm. behavioral sleep problem, not caused by an underlying medical condition. That's yeah. a lot of kids. That's a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about um, your book, The Sleep Ladies Good Night Sleep Type. Mm-hmm. So again, if you remember back, I um, wanted to find it, figure out something gentle other than cry it out. And so I experimented a little bit and basically I created what, you know, my publisher named the sleep lady shuffle, by the way, a three-year-old named me the sleep lady. (laughs) And I thought that was just so cute that I was like, thank you. That will be my name. (laughs) That will be my trademark name. Um, And so basically the idea is everyone is going to tell you you know, have a soothing bedtime routine, you know, an age appropriate time after hopefully a good day of naps with the baby, let's say a baby in this example, into the crib, awake and aware that they're being placed in there, but calm and, and soothed. And then, you know, from there, it depends on what you do, right? Leave and, or in my case, in the sleep lady shuffle, you stay and you offer physical and verbal reassurance and you do less and less over the first three nights. And then you start doing less and less and moving away as they incorporate the skill on their own. Mm-hmm. So what advice do you give parents then that want to sleep with their child or have a child sleeping in the bed? Because I know that that is sometimes a big point of contention um, when parents start that habit. Mm-hmm. So believe it or not, I'm not against the family bed or co-sleeping or bed sharing, you know, there's so many different names for it. Um, you know, obviously the families who've come to see me over the last 27 years, they're not sleeping, their child's not sleeping and they're not sleeping. So whether it's in a shared bed or an independent, independent beds, um, something has to change. Um, so I, if, your child is sleeping fairly well and you and the other parent are both sleeping well, i.e. you don't have a problem, right? Everybody's okay. And you're sleeping safely in a, in a shared bed, then you don't have a sleep problem. It's not broken. Don't fix it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do tell families that, so most, maybe I should say it this way. Most of the families that come to me are doing what's called reactive co-sleeping. They didn't plan on co-sleeping, but they just got desperate, right? And it was, and they got tired and they brought their child into their bed and they found, well, you know, I nurse them, what turns out to be two times a night becomes four, comes six, and then it's like a free for all, or it's the, or I laid down with my three-year-old when we transitioned him to a bed until he falls asleep. And then in the middle of the night, he comes running into our room and, and then wants to sleep with us the rest of the night. And we're too tired, right. To, to bring him back. And we just don't care until eventually somebody is not, is losing enough sleep or one of the parents is no longer sleeping in that room and they're sleeping on the couch or in a guest room or in the child's room and the child and the other parent are in, in their room together. And so that's then when I, when I help them and, but they have to really decide I've had enough, you know, we, we want to all be sleeping in our own bed, but I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with co-sleeping 
there are many, many countries and millions of people who are doing it, you know, all over the world, as long as it's done safely. I mean, what's hard for, for I think parents here in the United States is that we have mattresses with pillow tops and duvets and, you know, comforters and all kinds of things that for our little babies, it's just not a safe environment for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then it, then it's a different topic. Yeah. Well, you know, do you think that, that, that parents have just become accustomed to being tired on a daily basis and they feel that that might be a normal habit? And if so, what are some signs that you can tell parents of younger children that, hey, if these things are happening, you need to change your sleep habit that they just may not even realize because they think that it's normal? Yeah, that the parents, I mean, I think that we do live and I, of course, include myself in a fast paced life and world, you know, I mean, even when my kids were little, I, I felt like the over scheduling of children was so common and so much pressure yeah. on the parent to what do you mean? They're only doing one sport or one activity or, you know, and so, you know, when our children, when, when we're overscheduled and our children are overscheduled, I think it's, we become so used to, oh, this is what our life is. We're on the run. We don't have time for sitting down to eat. You know, we got to do fast food. We got to go to lacrosse. We got to go, you know, to dance, to whatever. And then, you know, then we got to stay up late enough to do our homework and then plop into bed. Um, and so I think it's easy to, to not even notice that you're going 150 miles an hour. I, I mean, I, I, I think that a lot of families saw that during the pandemic you know, when there wasn't activities to do, yeah. you know, um, and now, and now what, now how do we fill our time and what time is bedtime? And so I really feel like what we can do as parents is start with ourselves and make our own sleep a priority, um, and model that to our children. Not that I'm perfect and any other parent is perfect, but I really tried to, I, I really tried to go to bed around the same time, at least during the week, as I had to always get up around the same time. And then I also would talk to my kids about how I always said how my brain feels when I'm well rested versus how it feels when I'm tired, you know? And then I would ask them, do you ever, do you notice that? Like, I have a hard time concentrating, uh, particularly with teenagers, um, because they're, especially with teenage girls, there's more of a tendency to have anxiety and depression during adolescence. Um, boys can be more, you know, aggressive and impulsive. And, and I'll say, you know, sleep deprivation can make you feel even more anxious and depressed. Mm -hmm. So it's even more important to, um, to get the sleep we need and not to mention, of course, school performance. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and on that topic, now that, you know, getting enough sleep can affect how well kids do in school as they get older, even preschool, young elementary school ages, all the way up into high school. What are some ways that lack of sleep can put up roadblocks to learning? Well, you know, and I'm sure all the educators that listen to, to your show know firsthand, um, the uh, children are besides the obvious falling asleep, which we, we can see in our teenagers in classroom, but um, sleep deprivation decreases our attention span. It makes us less patient. 
we have um, short-term memory retention problems. I know I experienced that. I'm sure you have too. When you're tired, you just like something is on the tip of your mind. You cannot remember it. So it's really hard to take an exam, right? When you like, maybe you crammed the night before and that's kind of short-term memory enough, right? Um, to, to, to forget it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. More impulsive, um, more accidents, easier to fall. And then of course, if they're driving increased car accidents. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of biased. I'm like, sleep is everything, right. You know? (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned the, the, the car accidents and the being drowsy. I don't think a lot of times as parents or teachers, when we notice the signs of sleep deprivation, that we always take it as seriously as we really truly should. Um, and so backing up a little bit, what are some of the common causes of childhood and adolescent sleep deprivation? Well, it's different in adolescents, but in children, so I look at it as two things, behavioral sleep problems and medical sleep problems, right? Or medical conditions that can affect sleep. Um, So a behavioral sleep problem would be in the adult world, insomnia, although it's hard to relate to that with let's say a three-year-old, but usually a behavioral sleep problem with a younger child is that they don't, they haven't learned the skill of putting themselves to sleep independently. Um, and you can learn it at any age. It just takes a little longer, the older you get, right. Cause you have all those patterns to, to undo, but at least it's not 40 years of patterns to undo. Mm. So in other words, um, the common one with, you know, preschoolers and, and elementary school is that the parent, a parent lies down with them, um, and until they're asleep. And then if they wake up, they either go back or they bring the child into their bed. And sometimes um, the parent ends up sleeping the whole night with the child or vice versa. I'd say that's the most common, Mm -hmm. but you know, you can fine tune it. There are still plenty of preschoolers that are having bottles during the night um, or, um, need certain, you know, need you to find their pacifier Mm -hmm. or, you know, things like that. Uh, the common medical conditions that affect, uh, sleep are restless leg syndrome, um, obstructive sleep, by the way, restless leg syndrome. Um, my coaches and I have seen a huge increase during the pandemic. Interesting. I'm not hundred percent sure why, um, I'm, maybe a sleep doctor would, would know why that is. Um, usually it's about ferritin levels and then obstructive sleep apnea often caused by, but not always from enlarged tonsils and adenoids. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the medication used to treat asthma, making it harder to go to sleep and stay asleep and reflux. Those are some, and there are others, but those are the most common. Um, and I would say in the older children's group, the two most common I've seen where parents thought it was a behavioral sleep problem or the child just, you know, wasn't listening or, you know, whatever it was, was that they had sleep apnea or restless leg syndrome. Mm -hmm. And would you suggest that, you know, as children, 
get into the older ages and, 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 you know, maybe a parent comes to you and, and they feel like they're doing what they are supposed to be doing, putting the child to bed at a certain time and, you know, using all of the tips and strategies of good rest and their child still seems like they're not sleeping. And that is the point where they should go and, and get further, um, you know, maybe see a doctor or some professional um, expertise on why their child isn't sleeping. Yes, I could even give you some of the common symptoms if they see these to write Mm -hmm. them down and go back to their pediatrician. So um, if they're saying anything like like growing pains, which a child's not going to say that, but us as adults have been told that maybe we you were even told that as Mm -hmm. a child, Um, uh, itchy, scratchy, spidery, tingly, something icky feeling on our limbs. Not that you can't have it in other areas, but in general. Um, and the constant, like, especially when you go to lie down, like it's hard for them to keep their legs still as an example. With obstructive sleep apnea, the common ones are um, restless sleeping, like all the blankets and pillows end up on the ground. They may even sometimes fall out of their bed. Uh, sweating during sleep, particularly on the head and any mouth breathing or snoring. And you don't, have to have snoring. You can have the other symptoms without snoring, but mm-hmm. usually you see mouth breathing or loud breathing. Yeah. And if you hear any hear or see, or you know, with an older child, do they often wake up with headaches? Um, did they have a history of allergies, um, uh, ear tubes, lots of ear infections? Then mm-hmm. I would go back and say, you know, um, pediatrician. I don't know if I told you, but this is what's going on with my child. Because a lot of times we don't know what to tell our doctor. And then our our doctor's not asking because they're assuming everything's okay. Mm -hmm. Well, and they may not be connecting those symptoms either, right? You may not connect your child having a headache in the morning to sleep issues. So I think that that's, um, you know, that's really important um, point to bring up for our listeners um, Mm -hmm. that they can be connecting all of those things. Um, You know, so we talk a lot about, you know, uh, you know, you talk a lot about in your books and and in your podcast and um, in all of your resources about the sleep habits and getting kids on the right track. And, you Mm -hmm. know, you know, we've talked a little bit about preschool and elementary school. So what role do educators, if any, you know, because a lot of educators or teachers are like, well, I have no control over what they're doing uh-huh. at home. I can't help them get better sleep. So what role do educators play in a situation where they see a child or they know a child is possibly falling asleep in class or they're seeing signs of sleep deprivation? Mm-hmm. Um, how can that affect that child in class? And what role do teachers really play in that? Yeah, I think that a lot is put on educators, right? Um, uh, in terms of what they can affect and what they can't in terms of the home life, right? Um, I would love to see, and I know that there are other countries in Europe that are starting programs like this where they're putting into the curriculum um, education around sleep and the importance of it, because I think if our children could learn early on um, what it could do for them in not only in academic performance, but even in sports, if that was like more interesting to them, Um, so if a teacher ever has the freedom to be able to teach about sleep, just like we teach about nutrition, would love to see that. Um, uh, because we do talk about, you know, exercise and nutrition, not that we didn't used to 25 years ago, but that's becoming increasing. And if they would add sleep, that would be perfect. And then I think the only other thing we can really do is, um, 
talk to the parents, right? Even if it's just sending a note home and saying, I noticed that, you know, Ryan was seemed to be falling asleep in the late afternoon. And um, could you, you know, make it a priority to get him to bed earlier? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you know, we, we used to have nap time in schools. Remember that? You probably, because we're probably about the same age. You get your mm-hmm. mat out and they turn mm-hmm. the lights off. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really think that even the younger ages, kindergarten, are even really doing that anymore. And so oh. what are your thoughts on bringing something like that back to the school day? I think there would be an absolute upheaval <laughs> and an uproar. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, maybe not six years and up, um, but I, I, you know, in kin- my kids went to kindergarten half day. Um, and, and it, and even though the average age to stop napping is four, I had one who stopped at three and a half and one that stopped at five, you know, and so there's not a lot of room for that variability. And so then if you know that your child needs more than the average bear sleep, cause some kids do, then maybe that's the child that you make a priority to have to go to bed earlier yeah. so that they can have, you know, a better day. And the other thing that's so hard about all of this that I failed to mention when you asked me about the causes of sleep deprivation is screen time, you know, and, and what screen time and the blue light does to our brain and our, and our body, um, and how that disrupts our sleep too. So, um, it would just be fabulous if we could have it, you know, if we could even have a rule in the homes that you don't bring your phone into your bedroom, but that's mm-hmm. not an easy rule. Yeah. And like you said, a lot of it is convenience for the parents as well, because we do that too. Mm-hmm. Grownups do those things as well. And, yeah. and if we're modeling, that would right. be a hard sell, uh, yeah. for parents to not have their phones or a television on um yeah at night as well so yes. you know i'm i'm sure that might be one of the answers to the next question i want to ask you but what do you what would you tell um parents um or our listeners the three top mistakes that you think um parents might be making with their children's sleep habits whether they realize it or not um that they are not making sleep a priority um and really you know, I think that we live in a society, mainly I probably because of electricity, right? That we can always push the envelope, stay up a little bit longer, yeah. get more done, and then we and that we pay. And you know, you really can't make up sleep that easily. Um, it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Um, so I think making sleep a priority and modeling that yourself. Um, Again, I don't mean to sound like I'm doing it all right um, because I'm definitely not perfect and I'm not a perfect parent, uh, but I do not have my phone in my room, um, in my bedroom. I have tried to have certain modeling um, and we don't have TV at the dinner. I mean, uh, um, phones at the dinner table. Well, we don't have the TV on either at the dinner table. I've tried to do things like that that is showing like, also priority of engagement and priority of sleep Um, and trying to, I think, have really great connection time before sleep with our kids. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's uh, particularly as our ki- kids get older. I mean, it seems like when they're little, everyone knows about like a bedtime routine. Um, but but so often our our older kids need it too. Yeah. You know, it's a really hard time to just shut off and like be in the dark. And that tends to be when we all worry, right? Um, and and then it makes it harder to go to sleep. So I think talking about our days, talking about our feelings, having that connection, having, uh, making sleep a priority and, um, and talking about sleep as part of our health. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kim, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, tell all of our listeners where they can find you and where they can get all of your wonderful resources. Mm -hmm. Best place is my website, sleeplady.com can read about my, you know, on my blog, my podcast, my books that, and the free guides and lots of great resources there. All right. Well, thank you again for spending your time with us um, today. We really appreciate it. I know how busy you are, but we, we do appreciate your time. Thank you. And this is Christy Hull signing off for this episode of Classroom Matters. Classroom Matters.